In the world of business, knowing the latest pricing trends and applying them means maintaining your competitive edge. Join PriceFX's fast, flexible and friendly podcast, Pricing Matters, to keep yourself up to date with the newest trends, stories and pricing best practices from around the world with lively discussions, real-life use cases and all things pricing delivered straight to your ears from those in the know. If you have passion for pricing, then join pricing influencer Gabriel Smith and his co-hosts in our regular podcast and make sure you understand Pricing Matters. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pricing Matters. This is the first in a series of discussions we plan to work on during 2020 around various topics that we think are under-discussed and interesting around pricing and how it's changing with the use of technology. Every few weeks, we plan to have a discussion around an important topic in pricing. Some are more practical, others more big picture. And today I have a regular guest that will be joining us for at least a few of these. He's a pricing expert named Dr. Ian Tidswell. Hi, Ian. Hey, Gabe. Hey, Gabe. Thanks for having me. Excited to be part of this initiative. Uh, I'm kind of hoping we can uh, have pricing discussions around topics that I know you and I both find interesting and maybe get away from the purely sort of pragmatic stuff that we spend our day jobs doing and get into topics of, of policy, sustainability, strategy, and things that don't tend to get covered quite as much as uh, in the regular podcast world or even in the conferences. Exactly. Yeah, and I think the first topic that we have is a great one and one that we'll come back to a few times. So today we want to talk about ethical pricing overall and mission-driven pricing specifically today. Yeah, and I know you're, you're as excited about this one as I am, right? It's a pretty interesting topic. Indeed. So let's, let's jump into it. Ian, what's your understanding of the definition of mission-driven pricing or what we mean when we talk about if mission-driven or ethical and or ethical pricing? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I, I guess we've got this continuum up on the screen here showing you going from on one side, mercenary, uh, bad, illegal, unethical stuff. One can argue about what's bad, what's unethical, but uh, we'll, we'll get into that, I think. Up to on the far right, mission-driven, which is around uh, what is companies who are trying to do good in the world. Um, but maybe we need to start off by having a quick look at, you know, where does pricing even fit overall, right? So I pop into Wikipedia. There it says that the, the definition of a market economy is an economic system in which decisions regarding investment, production, and distribution are guided by price signals created by the forces of supply and demand. So this is really getting to, I think, the pricing is really central to how market economies work, how markets work. And it's about trying to emphasize where, uh, how can we maximize profits, right? It's about how can we maximize the profitable outcome by using price signals as part of that. that yeah. That's sort of where right. pricing starts, at least. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, it's a complex topic, right? There's uh, various techniques and tools around pricing. We're not going to get into all those today. But just to give the listeners some background that might not have it. Uh, you know, a lot of companies will start with looking at their cost of goods and their cost of sales and apply some sort of margin percent on top of that. That's called cost plus pricing. It's kind of the most basic form and what a lot of companies have, have done for many years. It's not one that we necessarily support as pricing professionals, but it does warrant mention because it is widely used in many industries. And then, you know, moving on into more market-based pricing where you're trying to understand 
what are the alternative offers that are out there, competition, et cetera, and really pricing aligned with those changing market conditions. And that's where dynamic pricing comes in and these kind of things that you hear about in the in the news a lot. And then um, kind of moving towards value-based pricing is really trying to understand the value that your customers are getting from your products and services. And the whole transaction or the, the sale of your product or service is really you can think about it in the context of an exchange of value, right? So you're providing some value, you're trying to price it according to that value that's being provided, and you're taking a share of that as a compensation for providing that value, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and I think where mission-driven pricing really kicks in is when an organization is trying to do something other than maximize profits, or maybe that's part of the goal, but there's some other mission. Right. Uh, so in its in its pure form, mission-driven pricing would be when a not-for-profit organization or a government entity is using pricing to try to fulfill its mission. Indeed. So, yeah, so I agree with that definition, foregoing some or all profit for the sake of the mission. And so let's let's talk about some examples. Well, let's start with a very prosaic one, right? So governments have uh, issued driver's licenses and they charge money for that. So how much should they charge? You could think of it first as just a cost recovery. Maybe that's a lot of people would think a cost plus model was the right way to do it. Mm -hmm. um, you could think of it as, do we want to use this as a revenue source? That might get a little tricky if you tried to maximize the revenue you could get, given that most people will need a driver's license. How much revenue are you trying to raise? What's the story there? I could also make an argument that you could go for a lower price to encourage more people to drive or encourage everyone who drives to drive, making sure they have a driver's license. So really what the price you should, the government should charge for getting a driver's license is going to depend on what their mandate is and what their mission is. What are they actually trying to do? Right, right. And if they're trying to discourage driving, then they would charge a, quite a high price, right? To they could do. encourage yeah. people, right? And so kind of an example along those lines is uh, speeding fines and what some countries are doing there, right? So most places have you know a fixed fine for speeding regardless of who you are. But uh, you're hearing in the news you know, over the last, say, decade, some countries like Switzerland, where you live, or the Nordic countries that are actually doing these day fines, right? And the, the idea of a day fine is they're taking the income of the driver and dividing that by 365 days. And so if you're making millions of dollars, you can walk home with a $1 million speeding penalty as this Swedish guy did in his Mercedes for going about 170 kilometers over the limit. So having a heavy foot was pretty expensive in that case. Yeah, and, and, that's, and he was being charged 300 days because he was so far over the speed limit. So they're basically saying, you know, a year's income to pay this fine. Right. Um, and, you know, arguably that's a very sensible scheme. Yes, it's a lot of money, but it, it, it treats everyone equally on some basis, depending on how you want to call it equal. It does, although I think the idea of trying to make this hurt as much for people of different incomes makes sense. But mm -hmm. should you be paying almost a year of your income because you, you're going over the speed limit, that's where I'd say there's some debate to be had. And I think in this well, case, they've dialed back some of this is a pretty old article, right? And I think they've dialed yeah. back some of this as, as a result of some of the pushback. The, the guy was doing 100 miles an hour over the speed limit. I, uh, <laughs> I don't have a lot of sympathy. <laughs> But anyway, they didn't ask me, so that's okay. Yeah, yeah. I think there's some other examples that are interesting in around traffic and uh, congestion pricing and things like that. Yeah, uh, I mean, the, the classic is, you know, where I'm from, the UK, uh, London was one of the first countries, one of the first cities to introduce congestion pricing. So it's, uh, I think it's £11.50 
uh, pence a day now to drive in central London weekdays, mm-hmm. 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. Um, and that's been quite successful at reducing pollution, increasing travel times, and just discouraging driving in general, which I think is what they were what they were trying to do. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, and the, the Bay Bridge has some some variable pricing, although it's not, I, I don't think flexes quite as much as the congestion pricing no, in London. Yeah. yeah, one uh, state uh, example that we do have in the states here is in Virginia, right? And I-66, where they introduce variable pricing depending on the traffic conditions. And uh, these actually, as, you, as you're pointing out here, for those that are following on the web, uh, famously have actually gone up to almost $40 in some cases, right? Uh, which is, again, is that ethical? It kind of depends on, on what the alternatives are for people, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I think uh, there was a lot of pushback. In, in Virginia, it went up to, I think, 40, 40 bucks was the highest price to drive like a 10-mile stretch of road. So mm-hmm. um, that's, that's pretty expensive. Uh, I think they may have, have sort of put some caps on it now. Um, but, you know, arguably, if you have no choice, then it's a problem. I think the point is lots of people do have choices in the medium term, at least. And so, but, but any of these schemes where you do something like this, you create winners and losers, even though it's good in general, it's the winners and losers debate that, that gets difficult. And in our polarized societies, I think that gets a little, a little challenging. But, you know, this has speeded up traffic on that road and it has raised money and reduced congestion. So, you know, right. so, it's successful. So it, it achieved its mission. Uh, so, yeah. it, it, so in that way, it's mission driven, but there's still a question around kind of the, the ethical, you know, dilemma or the winners and losers, as you mentioned. So that's, a, yeah. that's an interesting one. You've got to always, and I think this is, this comes up again and again, you've always got to look at the side effects of what you're doing. A lot of these things may make economic sense, but they can hurt the least advantaged of society the biggest. And so we've got to always, I think, be aware of that. Indeed. Let me raise one of the funny one, right? I know you and I had a chuckle about this earlier. Kitson Nevis has a scheme where you, you can pay for citizenship. So that's, a, I think, an interesting value-based pricing challenge, right? Mm-hmm. I, I plugged in your numbers here, uh, Gabe. So for 150000 you can get citizenship. They even have a sort of a good, better, best scheme. You can even do uh, fast-track approval if you want to pay a bit more as well. So Right. Or if you invest in real estate, which they're obviously trying to encourage, then it comes down some. So yeah, oh, this no, is the minimum required by law is four hundred thousand, right? Okay, and then some fees. So, oh, I see. Yeah, I think and I think when you invest in 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 getting a citizenship, I think you're paying because I don't think you get a return on your investment other than a passport. But mm. you know, yeah. So I mean, that's something where obviously they they have a, a mission that they're trying to achieve there with that, and it's to encourage foreign investment, uh, probably of wealthy individuals that would probably also get some potential tax benefits if they do become actual you know, citizens and probably also provide the lower income people on the island with additional government services as a result of the tax revenue that they would be generating. Yeah, that's right. But, but you can imagine it's tricky if they could have too few applicants so it doesn't make sense and you could have too many so you're overwhelmed. One would hope there was a healthy debate about where to get the balance right there. Yeah, it would have been an interesting project to work on, right? It I would, would love to do that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're pricing geeks, so maybe that's why we think it's super interesting. Yeah, well, that's why we're on. That's why we're having a pricing podcast. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So uh, you did some work for the Dutch Red Cross, right? Yeah, Uh, that's right. That's that's right. So I um, did a project for an organization called 510, which is part of the Dutch Red Cross. And 510 refers to the fact that there's 510 million square kilometers 
of the Earth's surface. And what they're trying to use is use big data and analytics to direct resources when there's some kind of crisis or disaster, like a hurricane or a tsunami or flooding and this kind of thing, or even a drought. And so the idea was to try and figure out how they could do something where it wasn't just based on cost recovery, but was more based on an ability to pay. So perhaps the Norwegian Red Cross should pay more than the Congolese Red Cross for some support because of their willingness to pay. In fact, it turns out a lot of these organizations work on a very much cost plus basis. So this is a tricky problem to solve in the context of how nonprofits work. But you could argue they're missing a trick there with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, when you're a nonprofit, the idea even of maximizing profitability can be a challenging one for some people to even wrap their head around. So let's get into some examples that are more on the business side of things that are, you know, companies that might be for profit, but are mission driven. Well, yeah, I know you and I have gone back and forth a bit on this, right? There's several companies now, I think, that are doing, that are for profit, but mission is a very strong component of what they're doing. So let's cycle through two or three of these. The first one I bring up is a company called LifeBank. So I came across these, the CEO, Temi, of this company a couple of years ago at a accelerator in Merck in Darmstadt, uh, Germany. Um, what they're doing is trying to help hospitals get medical products delivered to them in good quality and at the time they need it. So this is a big issue in Africa where the infrastructure is so poor. So they use what is very, I think, generic, or not generic, but for straightforward technology, you know, men on motorbikes, maybe there's some women too. And then also law doing things with drones and doing things in a different way. Um, so there's some stats here on the screen, right? They've uh, credited themselves with saving 6,700 people's lives uh, because they were able to have a very focused mission of what they were trying to do. So while they're for profit, I, I don't think they're trying to maximize the profit they make either. If they were, I'm not sure that Nigeria would be the place to start. Uh, indeed, indeed. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of one of our clients, which is a company called Allosource. So Allosource makes uh, skin grafts and uh, both um, artificial skin grafts and, and some of the technology that goes around that and some, some other medical products but what they were looking for they are a nonprofit, but they were looking to maximize transaction profitability by understanding willingness to pay and coming up with a, a way to negotiate deals and then use some of that profit in order to really further their mission and help more people uh, that are in need so i thought this was an, an interesting use of pricing for a nonprofit in order to further their mission raises some interesting questions though right so do you treat certain injuries such as sports medicine in a different way than you would uh, burns victims. So how are they thinking about segmenting their pricing? Because segmentation is always a big thing one does in for-profit pricing. And it's it's not obvious to me how to do that, which means it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's a complex challenge for sure. You know, we were able to give them some special pricing as a nonprofit. And that's something that we've actually now turned into a program for nonprofits and mission-driven companies. So I'm looking forward to hopefully helping more of these types of companies with, with their challenges. And I know that that's a big area that you like to get involved in as well. Yeah, that's right. Another outfit I did a little bit of work with is called Newell. So they're a Korean company um, that has a malaria detection. And that's an interesting example too, because basically the longer you study the sample you take, the more accurate you can be. So you can detect it sooner but the less cases you can do and the more it costs. So uh, there's an interesting case there of trying to get the balance right. So if you're in Africa, maybe it makes sense to tune the device so you capture the maximum number of 
malaria cases with the minimum number of false positives, but uh, do it, but not just be super accurate. And then be super accurate when you have it, in, when you stick it in Zurich Hospital for the travelers can come back, then maybe you have it set on a different level and you can charge different prices for that. So that's super interesting uh, how they should do that and how they want to do the segmentation as well. Indeed, indeed. So, and they have a, a clear mission as well. So most companies do have a mission. Does that mean that all companies are doing mission-driven pricing? I tend to think not. Let's take one that seems yes and one that seems no, right? So Frost Methane, I think that you've worked with them a little bit, right? They're trying to- Indeed, yeah. So that's a- that's a. Yeah, it's a startup in the Bay Area, started up by a friend of mine that came from Google, actually. And what she's trying to do is have a, a startup company that is profit-driven that's really uh, moving the needle with regards to global warming and climate change. And so what's happening as the permafrost is thawing is that you get these huge vents of methane that are coming up. And uh, what she's trying to do is develop technology and a mechanism to detect those and then convert those actually into CO2 or capture the methane. Because as you know, methane is much more harmful to climate change or has much bigger impact on climate change than does carbon dioxide. But what they're doing is they're selling carbon credits, both to companies that are subject to the cap and trade system, which is in certain Mm -hmm. geographic regions, but also selling to companies that are just voluntarily looking to reduce their carbon footprint. Uh, As you probably heard recently, Microsoft had vowed that they want to actually erase their entire carbon footprint, right? And I think hopefully that's going to be a trend with more and more companies looking to get to a carbon neutral and maybe even a negative carbon footprint on an ongoing basis to erase their overall carbon footprint as a company. And so this is an interesting problem because it, it has a technology aspect to it and how to use the technology in order to detect and contain and destroy the methane. But then there's also... The, the kind of government market angle of things in terms of how they're pricing. So there's a set price on the cap and trade system for a ton of carbon, but then there's a variable willingness to pay on the voluntary side of things as well. So it's kind of a multifaceted pricing challenge that we've been talking about as she's getting the company up to help her put together her pricing strategy and tactics. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's super interesting, right? Again, not obvious what the right pricing strategy should be. So what about some of the things that you hear like Gilead donating a Truvada, the AIDS transmission prevention drug. Um, Is that an example of mission-driven company or mission-driven pricing? Lots of companies have missions and they like to talk about how they're mission-driven. But if you're using your mission purely to maximize your profits in the long run in your industry or market, because you're basically using it as a PR stunt, then I think it that's not mission-driven pricing, that's marketing. So Gilead is interesting in that they gave several hundred thousand treatments of uh, HIV prevention in the US. But in fact, if you look at the press on this, and there's a very interesting podcast that will, all, all of the links, we'll put them in the notes as well for those who uh, are not online. The developers of this drug, the researchers who developed this drug, wanted it to be free and wanted it to cure and didn't look at it as making money. So very mission-driven. But Gilead now, who, who runs this thing, seems to be using it to lock in their, their market share in the US in the future. So it's interesting how what can seem like a charitable donation, in fact, has a, a dark side to it that, in, mm-hmm. that it is not so not so benign and not so giving and charitable as you, as they might, yeah. uh, you have to might be have a, you think about it. Yeah, indeed. I think you have to be a bit wary. There's a lot of this kind of PR window dressing type of mission-based uh, activity 
companies kind of bragging about how much they donate or what kind of climate impact they've made or things like that when it's a very small percentage of their profit it's really more for you know being able to create a commercial than anything else but i i have noticed an increase especially over the last decade really of conscious capitalism and responsible investing and really people being interested in social impact i love this and and i think especially you know millennials oftentimes catch a lot of flack but i think this is an area where millennials really are driving a lot of this change and companies are realizing that not only do people want to work for companies that have a positive social impact and are responsible and conscious but also people are looking to invest in companies that are responsible right both of these trends are making it easier for companies to do more and to think about more of a mission rather than just maximizing profitability it is heartening it's it's good to see us rubbing off some of the rough edges of capitalism perhaps it's interesting though i think as we've been talking about this and and doing a little bit of research on it um, there doesn't seem to be a very strong basis on what is mission driven so right uh, i'm hoping some big brains at universities are going to start figuring that out and how can you tell but uh, yeah it's all it's all it's all rather fuzzy right so yeah, it's uh, exactly yeah. yeah but but let's let's turn it to pricing, right? So regardless of how you define it, how is pricing different when it's mission driven? As you know, there's a ton of tools for doing mission driven pricing, but um, they're all typically around trying to uh, maximize the profit. We've got one up here, just one classic one is the value map, right? It's basically a value map is about trying to see perceived value versus perceived performance. You get a map and then you can work out, it can help you think about where you want to set your price. Mm-hmm. But if your mission is not to increase to maximize profits to but to maximize something else, you know, we need to basically change these axes. So perceived performance mm-hmm. now may not be quite the right axis. It may be how much does this help us fulfill the mission that we want to do? Right. Uh, Im- impact or or mission, yeah, mission impact or something like that. That's right. Interesting axis. That's right. So in that malaria case, you know, maybe the pricing should be tuned to when you detect the most malaria cases that can't be detected by traditional means, maybe that's it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have a drug treatment or something, then maybe we're trying to, you're trying to figure out how you can increase the quality adjusted years of life that's used for in healthcare to assess how good a treatment is. It's not without its own challenges itself. But you know, part of the problem you have, you know, if you if you invented a new vaccine or antibiotic both areas that are not really favored in the medical space because you can't make a lot of money. But if you have a a mission-driven mindset, then maybe it helps you. The pricing would be different. Let's say it that way. Mm -hmm. Indeed. And I think another interesting area here, if you look, think about this value map is, and you think for some of these mission-driven or more conscious capitalism type of companies like Tom's, the value perception is actually influenced by the mission, right? So, When I go buy a pair of Toms, I'm not just judging it based on the characteristics and performance of the shoe of the actual product. It's I'm also judging it based on the psychological impact that it has on me and the kind of warm fuzzies that I get by knowing that by buying this pair of shoes, I'm giving someone else a pair of shoes that's in need. So yeah. the question is, to, to your point though, is is one pair of shoes the right thing or would it be better to give one pair of shoes for every two bought and then that way you would maximize the amount of people that you could reach yeah. that way. So that's kind of where what you're talking about, I think, re- requires a little bit more depth and, and digging and, and maybe some more research. EasyJet just recently announced that they were going to be a carbon neutral airline. So they were go- they're basically paying a bunch of money, do offsets for the carbon emissions. Is that a PR thing? 
uh, does that allow them to charge more to people who fly or is it a because there'll be a preferred airline or is it really a mission driven thing and it's super important i i yeah. suspect you could find people inside of easyjet who have different opinions about that i'm sure uh, you know lyft has been doing that for a while and lyft has definitely been my preferred rideshare company for a while even before they were doing that but that just really solidified them as my preferred vendor um, when they started buying carbon offsets and became carbon neutral and it's definitely cycle, Gabe. You're supposed to cycle. Well, yeah, you can cycle sometimes, and and other times, you know, <laughs> it's snowing here in Chicago. So, uh, but uh, but I'll tell you that uh, I definitely am willing to pay a bit more, although there is a limit to that right. in order to know that my carbon is offset. So, yeah, that's right. But that that gets into the value of the thing you're buying, and and you know, I guess it's the the question is is the mission value fulfilled offset by the price you can charge. So sometimes doing the right thing lines up with being able to maximize your profits. And, and you know, those cases, I think uh, that's less interesting to me than the notion of we're not going to try to maximize our profits because our mission is more important. Right. Sense. Makes yeah. sense. At the beginning, we kind of showed that ethical pricing continuum starting from, you know, the kind of illegal and unethical that moving into kind mm -hmm. of the more muddled middle and then on the right side, the mission based. And we've been focusing on the mission based aspect this uh, episode. But I think we want to explore some of those other areas. And, and it'd be great to actually, I think, go more over to the, the dark side and talk about some of those unethical and, and illegal pricing stories that you hear in the, in the headlines a lot for the next one. I think mission driven is about proactively trying to do good. Ethical is about trying to avoid doing harm some way. So right. um, they're related, but not quite the same thing. Indeed. The mission driven is about trying to fulfill like a non-financial mission and foregoing some or all profit in order to do so. That kind of you know general definition, although obviously there's some question marks in terms of how much and you know, if you're a full nonprofit, then okay, most likely mission driven, although one could argue that some nonprofits are there for the make the, the founders. CEO. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but at the same time, you know, for the most part they're foregoing profit yeah. uh, along those lines. Yeah. So yeah, I think you know this kind of I think is is a good thing to talk about a little bit more on the context in the context of that the other side of the spectrum of pricing. So let's do that next time. Perfect. So uh, I think that wraps us up for now. Thank you so much for joining me, Ian, and uh, we'll look forward to continuing this conversation on the next episode of Pricing Matters. Great. Thanks, Gabe. Thanks, All everyone. Right. Thank you. You have been listening to Price Effects Pricing Matters with Gabriel Smith and Ian Tidswell. Copyright Price Effects 2020. If you have any questions or any points you'd like to share with the program, please send them in to pricingmatters at priceeffects.com. You can follow the presenter Gabriel Smith on Twitter at SW Evangelist and the guest Ian Tidswell on Twitter at iTidswell. You can also follow us on social media using the hashtag PricingMattersCast. Matters Cast.